Welcome to Stacy on the Right, the podcast. <laughs> Brought to you by the Alliance for Shared Health, changing healthcare, changing lives. Today, we have a fantastic show for you. You are going to be so blessed to learn with me about codependency in the step family dynamic, as well as uh, life coaching and all of the books that have been written by our guests. She's written five books. She's a speaker. She's a life coach and just an all-around amazing person. Uh, her name is Laura Petherbridge, and her website is thesmartstepmom.com. She also has another website, laurapetherbridge.com. I have both of those linked for you in the show notes. Laura, thank you so much for being with us today. Well, I am honored to be here. Thanks for the invite. So we we are just like... There's so much to discuss. We could probably do a series with you to cover the topic area that you are are helping people within. But today, specifically, I wanted to talk to you about codependency. And this falls underneath the umbrella of your work. Um, you have the smartstepmom.com. You are an author, speaker, life coach, but you actually specifically help families in what area? One of the things that's very popular for me to help couples with or or individuals is overcoming the tendency to be an enabler, a people pleaser, codependency. It can be called by a lot of different words. They all mean the same thing. It's, It's a compulsion to control or rescue others by fixing their problems. So this is something that... And, you know, we're not we're not stereotyping here, but it, it is found to be something that women engage in more often than men. That's true. Yeah. And it's also the source of um, a lot of, I, I would say, exhaustion in women. Right. Women who are they, there's I'm too busy. I'm overtaxed. I have so much going on. I never have enough time in the day. I can't take care of myself. Um, it, it can branch out into a lot of other health problems that stem from this desire to simply take care of things because, you know, we feel like we know the best way. Um, so when you're working with women and, and it's in this area of codependency, first off, m- people might be listening to this and thinking, am I codependent? Is it me? Am I the one? <laughs> and so what, what is codependency? What does it look like? What are some of the symptoms? I actually did not believe I was a codependent. So that's a really great question because I assumed women who were codependent or enablers were women who were married to, say, a violent man who let somebody beat her or married to an alcoholic. or So because that wasn't me, because I have a strong personality, I just automatically assumed I couldn't possibly be a codependent. But when I discovered what it really is, I realized I'm the poster child for, for this woman. So A codependent is somebody who has a desire to keep the peace at all costs. We often find ourselves in relationships where we're walking on eggshells. We have a very warped sense of responsibility. We need to be in charge. We need to be in control. And that means we're trying to control other people and their actions. So it's really convoluted, and it's 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 really a serious issue that takes time to unravel. So when you are describing this, these symptoms of this, because it's it sounds to me like it's an ailment, it, it because you're inside of it, 
you don't realize that you're codependent because as you said, when the minute you say codependent, I think of someone who is an abuser and the woman is codependent because even though she says she doesn't want to be abused, she never she can she can't break free of the relationship. And so that continual coming back basically validates the bad behavior of the abuser. And so that's classic codependency. We see it on all the lifetime movies. We you know, so that's what we think of. But when you drill down and start talking about the symptoms you've described, a lot of people pop into our minds when we hear that. So Let's first start off with how you help someone. And I, I know no one gets solved by listening to this podcast, you know, for a half an hour and walks out. I'm no longer codependent. But I think in having this conversation and highlighting what it truly is, we can get to a place where people can understand, you know what, maybe I need to reach out um, and, and have someone get some help on this. Maybe maybe it's you, Laura, or maybe um, someone local to where the person is living, or maybe they're in a relationship with a, a person who's codependent. And I think that also can be be very helpful because it sounds to me like if you're in a relationship with someone who's codependent, you feel like you're the crazy one if because the codependent person can actually make you feel crazy if you're you're not the object of their codependence or if you are yes absolutely and and you get into what I call a dance with this person, whether it be a spouse or a sibling or your mother, and you can be codependent with anybody. And it, it, it's a sense of needing to be in control or fixing. I can tell you for sure, here's a statement that will help you to know for certain whether you are codependent. When, you, when I get a client and they use this phrase with me, I know they have a codependency issue. So I'll use it as an example in step family. How can I get my husband to blank? How can I get my stepdaughter to blank? How can I get my mother-in-law to blank? Whenever you hear yourself making that statement, how can I get this person to do something that I want them to do? You can pretty much sign yourself up for the codependency club. Because that means we think we have the power and the ability to get someone else to change their behavior. And there's the issue with codependency and enabling and people-pleasing. So if you answer this question, if you hear yourself asking this question or in your mind ruminating over this question, how can I get my child to or how can I get my mom to whatever, then you know you're codependent. So let's reverse it really quickly because I I want both sides of this. If you're on either side of it, I think, you know, people need to be set free because the other side of it is what is the person who is the object of how can, you know, so mom is saying about the child, how can I get my child to blank when it's an adult child, especially I think it's really drive people crazy. That object of that codependency, then what's the question for them to ask to find out if they are the object of a codependent person? Well, the the object usually is feeling very controlled. So, and again, yes, you would have to relate that between mom and child. It would need to be an adult child because with young children, a parent should be able to set some boundaries mm-hmm. that would control the other person's behavior. Right. So we're, we're really only talking adults here. But so if we're saying, you know, how can I get my mother to stop criticizing me? You can't control what comes out of your mother's mouth. 
So mom is probably thinking, oh, she's just too sensitive. So so the other person is usually thinking, oh, you know, she's just so sensitive. She takes everything I say too sensitively. So the other person normally isn't feeling the impact of that person's codependency. Actually, they've become a part of the problem because they've gotten used to being able to manipulate. Say in this circumstance, mom knows if she uses certain phrases or if she uses certain triggers or if she brings up certain things, she can manipulate her daughter to do something that she wants her to do, even if the daughter doesn't want to, because the daughter is an enabler or a codependent. So there's the formula. And so you typically have an enabler and a manipulator, and they feed each other. So I'm going to ask the multi-million dollar question. How do you make it stop? Well, as I said, I am like the poster child. And the first thing I had to do was let God reveal to me that I am an enabler. I am a people pleaser. Just because I have a strong personality doesn't mean I am not a codependent. And I had to dig very deeply. When I was starting to get healed from this, I had to go way deep and go into how did this form in me? What in my childhood put me in a place where I felt I needed to be in control? And you'll discover for most people who are enablers, the root reason is fear. There's a fear somewhere deep inside of us that I must be in control or something bad is going to happen to me. Or when I was out of control in this one season of my life, and that could be anything. It could be sexual abuse. It could be domestic violence. It could be anything. And and it's formulated in us. And now we feel it's the only way we can control other people around us. And so you have to dig into the why. You've got to go deep to the root reasons and start there. And then for me, I had to keep laying this out to God and saying, show me where I'm codependent and show me why it's there. So I often tell people, you have to ask, am I a peacemaker like Jesus or am I a peaceaholic? I'm addicted to peace at all costs. So do you ever find that a person is the object of a codependent and then that person becomes basically the opposite and and seeking to no longer be the peace seeker or the peacekeeper, that person then becomes kind of like almost a wild card who says, okay, you know, if you're going to try to control me, I'm going to do everything the opposite of what you asked me to do. Do you find that that is a kind of a knee-jerk reaction of people who are the object of codependence? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, when I start coaching somebody and start teaching them how to set boundaries and how to not allow someone to treat them this way anymore, I tell them right up front, it's going to get way worse before it gets better. Especially if it's a person that has gotten used to treating you very badly and walking on you and expecting you to roll over and do whatever they want you to do. They're going to become very angry with you in the beginning. 
because they're used to you doing whatever they say. They're used to manipulating you. And as soon as you lovingly say, I'm not going to allow that anymore, they're going to become very nasty, very angry, very resentful. And they'll typically throw some hurtful, nasty comments your way and accuse you of not being loving, which is totally untrue. So how do you find that normally ends up? Do people end up with uh, completely, you know, breaking off communication with with the codependent individual? Because I, I I see a lot of disjointed relationships having to do with politics and people also I mean, they've emailed me some really heartbreaking stories about family dynamics where politics are different. And it used to be that if you had Democrats and Republicans in the same family, you know, they might fight it out a little bit over Thanksgiving. But in the end, everybody still played football together after the meal and everybody still sat on the couch and watched a movie and, you know, stayed together until the end of the evening and were still communicating with each other afterwards. But nowadays, people are breaking off relationships over politics. And often it's a control dynamic where Mm -hmm. one family member says, you're voting for the wrong people, or you believe the wrong things. And if you won't come over to the right side, the morally right side, then you're not, we're not gonna have communication. You know, we can't, we can't be in communication. And I see people openly talking about it now on Facebook, Um, their kids have cut them off or their parents have cut them off or, you know, siblings are no longer, you know, sharing their children who are first cousins because of this dynamic, which to me, on the surface, it looks like it's political. But listening to you, Laura, I hear control issues. I hear people saying, even though you're a grown up with a mortgage and a marriage and kids, or, you know, even though you're my parents who raised me and took care of me, Whatever the, the thing is, grownups are telling other grownups, you are not allowed to hold these views. And if you do, I won't have a relationship with you, which is, to me, the ultimate in codependency, if I'm getting this right. Absolutely. And, and what they're revealing is that they're what I would call an unsafe person. This is a person, an, an unsafe person is somebody you have to determine whether you're going to allow into your life or not. And there are many unsafe people, in particular family members, that we have varying levels of relationship with them. And so I may have one sister that I'm very close to and I can be honest with and tell my vulnerable things and then have another sister that I realize she's unsafe, whether it's political or morally or any other way. And I've come to realize that she is not mature enough to accept that we can be different or have differing opinions and still love and respect each other. And you're right. I'm 65. This this didn't happen when I was a kid. You you just disagree. You agreed to disagree. But that's not the, the norm today. And so... What you have to do with those people is you have to decide how far am I going to let you in my life? I have numerous people in my life that I do not let in my inner circle because they're not safe people. They're toxic people. That doesn't mean I've completely cut them out of my life, but I don't let them in my inner circle. I still love them. I still communicate with them. If they refuse to communicate respectfully, like you're describing, then we may have to decide there are certain subjects we cannot and will not discuss. 
Now, I have one person in my life that refuses to do that. They, they're going to make something political. You could be talking about vanilla ice cream, and they're going to turn that into a political conversation. <laughs> and I just back away from the conversation. I refuse to engage with that person because all they want to do is fight. And so this is because I've learned to, to heal my codependency. I no longer have a need to prove myself to somebody like that. I can step away from them, still love them, but not engage with them and not allow them in my inner circle. But that took time for me to learn how to do that. And during the time that you were learning how to do that, because I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to stress something here that I think is, it's a part of the process that you're talking about. Um, and I, I feel like you, what you do for a living is you set people free. You set people free from either being codependent themselves or the victims of the codependent person who oftentimes I, I'm, I'm imagining that the codependent person is a loving, wonderful person that just has this problem of codependency. So it's not someone that you want to cut out of your life. You just want them to stop trying to control you. So that, that's a huge distinction to make because there are people that you need to cut out of your life. The, the description you made of the toxic person, boy, that kind of rings true. I can see faces popping in my mind on that one. Um, but you're when you say that you recognize a person as toxic and you're working through on your own how to shut off that toxicity in the end, it becomes an issue of whether or not that person will allow you to do it or they will simply force you to either cut them off or to limit the access, which you're describing that as well. You're describing limiting access to yourself. And I, I don't think everybody really understands that we're allowed to do that. We feel like if the person is our family member, we can't limit their access to us. And and that is, is untrue. Or am, do I have that right? Because I just yes, I don't want to mischaracterize what you're saying. Yes, absolutely. There's nothing wrong with saying to someone, if if I want a relationship with you, but we can't continue to have a relationship with you speaking disrespectfully to me. So it's totally up to you whether you want to have this relationship or not. I'm willing to continue if you are willing to stop disrespecting me. But if you can't do that, then I'm going to have to step back from this relationship. And that that totally puts the ball in their court to decide whether they're going to change their behavior or not. And so you do have to be ready to let go of those relationships, regardless of who they are. I've had people that have had to do this with their mother, their father, you know, someone they're very close with, a spouse. They have to be willing to recognize that my spouse and I may not have a safe, healthy marriage if they choose not to stop doing this particular behavior that is very harmful to me. And so you have to be ready to know that you may lose that person from your life or the closeness that you had, but it is, it is your sanity that is at stake here. And you see, I've worked too hard to overcome this to let anybody steal it from me again. It doesn't mean I don't love you. It doesn't mean I don't want you. But but I'm not going to let you keep emotionally slapping me if you refuse to hear that you're doing that to me. So 
it's that part is in my control. But yes, I've lost friends, I've lost family, I've lost, you know, other ministry partners because I would not let them treat me in that manner anymore. So Laura, after you after you go through this process and you maybe even lose relationships over it, what is the net result for the person who has achieved this freedom from either being codependent themselves or being the victim of a codependent? What is what is their life like afterwards? Well, you use the right word. It's freedom. Uh, I never felt so free in my life as I did once I learned that it was not my job to make everybody happy. So you'll often hear a codependent use the phrase, I'm just too nice. I'm just too nice of a person. And here's the real whammy. And this is where you really get a wake-up call is when you realize that your being codependent and being an enabler is much for yourself as you are for the other person. Because you are getting something out of this. Being needed, being wanted, being manipulated, being called on 24-7, people using you, you're getting something out of that. Because we only do things if we're getting something out of it. So having other people need me or, or me being their rescuer is, is meeting a need in me that is very unhealthy. It is very unhealthy. And it formed in me, if I use my own story, it formed in me as a little kid. And I needed to rescue other people. And once you start letting go of that, you do hit a phase of, if I'm not everybody's rescuer, who am I now? Who, who am I? What's my purpose? What's my significance? And so God has to replace that then with, no, I created you for a higher purpose than that, than rescuing everybody. And oh, by the way, you can't anyway. You're just driving yourself insane. And they don't appreciate it anyway. Mm-hmm. So you really get to a place of where you realize, okay, I am doing that because it's meeting a need in me. I keep saying it's because I'm so nice and I'm so sweet and I'm so godly, I'm so holy, but really, it's very unhealthy of me to keep rescuing people because then they don't have to take any ownership of their own behavior. Mm -hmm. I'm letting them get away with behaviors that are very, very unhealthy, and sometimes even dangerous for their body or their soul. So that's when you start to wake up and go, oh, this isn't a good thing. I think it's a good thing. It's not a good thing. I've got to get healed from them. So there's freedom. Yeah. There's a, there's a escape. You, but then you're walking. It sounds like you're lighter because you say to yourself, okay, there's nobody for me to rescue. There's, there's nobody for me to um, you know, pick up behind and kind of manage all the time because it's exhausting managing the lives of other people who are honestly adults because the you you made the distinction earlier about children that we are supposed to, as parents, have some level of control over our children. We're supposed to be teaching them and discipling them, but we are also supposed to be in control of them because they're minors and they cannot be in complete control of themselves. But at some point, we hand the baton off to the child themselves and we say, now, 
I've taught you, you're in full control of yourself. And so I'm here to help you. I'm here to pray with you. I'm here to talk to you. Um, I may even, you know, help you in a material way and at some time in the future if you need it. But I'm not here on a daily basis to tell you how to parent your kids or, or you know, how to keep your your home clean or whatever the issue that that kind of you're obsessing over as the enabler. It's handing the baton off. And you mentioned that, you know, God has a higher purpose for us. He really does. He's in control. So when we're assuming the controlling role and becoming an enabler, we are actually assuming God's role. And that's why it feels so insurmountable and so chaotic. And it feels like we don't have a life anymore because we're running around pleasing people because we just can't do it. As humans, we are not made to control everything. Really, we're made to control nothing. We're supposed to be giving it all over to God and taking the actions that we're guided to take by the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's really a, a freedom that also comes with, in the beginning, you're plagued by guilt because it feels unloving. It feels un, unnatural because our we've convinced ourselves that it's the loving thing to do is to bail somebody out, to not let them suffer a consequence for their choices. But you see, God always lets us suffer a consequence for our choices. Does he rescue us and forgive us? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean he removes the consequences. And so there's where we've got a very perverted view in our mind of what love is, what what being um, a loving, compassionate, merciful person doesn't mean we remove the consequences from a poor choice. And you mentioned a, a parent with their adult child as they're growing up and becoming adults. That's one of the areas today where you will see codependency really rearing its ugly head is parents who can't help their child launch. We have a huge failure to launch issue today in this generation where you see kids in their 20s, even 30s, still living with mom and dad. Because mom and dad keep enabling that child from becoming an adult, from becoming having a full functioning brain and responsibilities and financial responsibilities. We're crippling that child because we're not teaching them how to stand up. We keep giving them a bed to lie down on. And when God wants to teach them how to be stronger. And so that is, you touched on a really huge enabling issue that we see in society today, like never before, like never before. I mean, my grandparents left home when they were 15 for everything. (laughs) So, (laughs) and when I was 18, we couldn't wait to get out of the house. Nobody wanted to stay living with their parents. So, and and driving, you could drive, you you could do, I mean, you were very capable. You just, it wasn't even that you were, it wasn't even like if someone said to you, you were capable, it was kind of like, what? I'm capable. What, what else would yeah. I be? I'm, I'm 18. I'm, I'm 17. People were joining the military. Um, they would often join the military and come back and, you know, get married. And, you know, to today we call that instant family. But back then it was just normal to get out of the house, to get all the way out. You couldn't wait because you're so sick of your parents telling you what to do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I remember my mom, she's 87 now, telling me when she was a little girl that she used to get on the bus after school at 10 years old. She would get on the bus in Buffalo, New York, and take it all the way to Niagara Falls by herself. 
Now, we would never allow a 10-year-old to do that today because of the safety issue. I get it. It's a different world. But she wasn't even afraid. She had the total confidence because she was prepared to do those things as a 10-year-old by herself. See, that's the huge difference in just these two generations of what a 10-year-old could do when my mother was 10 and what a 10-year-old is capable of doing today. Well, I think the capability or the potential for it is, um, is there. The issue is we have we've taught them to be more cautious and more afraid and not to want to go do things. Uh, I noticed with our oldest daughter, cause she's the kind of the wild card. She's so independent and she's so ready. She's like, she's almost like a child of the olden days. Like we're describing where, you know, she couldn't wait to drive. She couldn't wait to get to college. You know, she said my junior year, I have to live off campus. And she always makes the case. And, you know, she, she gets her facts and figures together. Like, mom, this is actually cheaper than me living in the dorm. Let me show you how, let me show you why this is a great idea. And I'm like, you don't have to live off campus as a junior. Cause I'm thinking this might be too early for her. It's probably too late. She could have lived off campus as a freshman. She's just <laughs> ready to get out there. Um, but she, she and her roommate, when they first moved in every weekend, they were going on these trips. She's like, we're going on a float trip. And I'm like, a float trip. Have we ever floated before? And so I start thinking of all the things that could go wrong. And my husband's like, just let the woman live. Let her have fun. I mean, she's not calling us to ask us if she can go. She's saying, yay, I'm going on a float trip. She's expecting you to be excited. I'm like, yeah, right. Snap out of it. What am I worrying about? She went on the float trip. She, she, they went all over the towns that are um, near her college campus and even an hour or so away, they went into the little thrift stores and they were uh, basically exploring all these little towns of like a thousand people here and, you know, not not places you've ever heard of. And she would text me or FaceTime me from the thrift store and say, look at what's in this store. Have you ever seen anything like this? And so I've come to realize that, you know, the it's the fear of the parent that keeps the child back, right? It's not, it's not that, and there are, there are dangers out there. We should be wise, but when the kids are branching out like that, our reaction really can either show them the way or kind of keep them closed off and unwilling to try anything. And so it's it's hard for us as parents, but we have to go back to, we have to keep going back to what you said before, which is that God has a higher purpose for us not to be in control. That's not the purpose. And that if we if we do that, it's basically the pathway to becoming an enabler, trying to control other people, and also to crushing the adventuresome, joyous life that God has called us to here. The, the enablers are actually preventing that in other people um, and the codependents as well. The, the relationship between those people is crushing the joy of life. Yes, absolutely. And, and I do see this more in step-family living because many times the parents are parenting out of guilt and fear. Because the child has been through a divorce, they're living in two homes, you can't control what goes on in the other home. And so I, I get it. I totally do get it. I, I get that that's harder because you've lost control over what your child is being exposed to or, you know, the people they're meeting. You've lost some control of that when you get divorced. So I, I do understand what you're saying. And, and my grandson is the way you're describing your daughter. He's 21. And he is just like you're saying, very adventurous. He's afraid of nothing. I mean, he's not, he's not one to go out and drive 150 miles an hour, but 
he doesn't he he loves tackling new things and and, and you know exploring new things. But he has parents that have raised him up to be that way. Go ahead and try that thing. And so I think you're absolutely right that that you've done an excellent job in letting her feel secure and safe so that she can do these things and you don't feel like you've got to rescue her. Even if she does fall on her face at some point, yes, she'll be there to love her. Yes, she'll be there to extend your hand to pick her up, but not to make amends for every choice she's made. Sometimes we have to suffer the consequences of that choice. So we learn not to do it the next time. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you said, Laura, that God doesn't remove the consequences. And I think, I think sometimes, you know, his grace extends and the consequences don't meet up with, you know, what the the action, they're not as severe as the action, but sometimes they really are. Sometimes, you know, you're forgiven, you know, you've been forgiven, but the consequences, you have to walk those out. And it really does serve to help us learn. So it doesn't, it doesn't mean that we're not able to get out of it. It just means it's going to take every bit of that long process to get out of it. There's there's not going to be a quick shortcut or a quick turn we can make to kind of shorten the the process of getting out of whatever we worked ourselves into. And that is the learning experience, but you get to learn it knowing that you've been forgiven and that, you know, you're you're still set free and that that God's going to help you get through that long process. He's not going to just leave you to it by yourself. You're going to get through it and, and through the process you might you know, meet other people that you have great relationships with who are in the same process that you're in or, or whatever. It's it's all a part of what is an adventure for us living here on this earth, you know, trying to 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 uh, get closer to God. And also I, my new thing, I'm in my mind, I'm going to be weighing out, you know, is this is this enabling? <laughs> is this being codependent? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, um, exactly. I think I really think that people listening to today's podcast are going to recognize these symptoms in other people. And I want to encourage you, if, if you're listening today and you are you feel like you need any help on this, I'm on Laura's website right now. You can get there at laurapetheridge.com, laurapetheridge.com. But you can also take the easy route that she just gave to me, thesmartstepmom.com. Easier to remember, I think. Thesmartstepmom.com. If you type that into your search window, her website will come up and you can access any of her five books. She has a resources tab. She's also a life coach. She can help you. Um, you can read about Laura. You can check out her upcoming events and media appearances. Maybe you would like to hear her speak in person. Um, or maybe you have someone in your life who could use uh, the connection to her where you can just text them the link to her website and you know kind of get that process started. I'm so glad that um, my friend sent me your information so that you could come on the show today. It's such a blessing to get to meet you here virtually and to hear your expertise. And I, I look forward to talking to you again, um, delving further into the step family dynamics that you also are an expert in. Um, I, I'm so glad that we had a chance to chat. Laura Petherbridge, you are the smart stepmom. It's the smartstepmom.com author, speaker, and life coach. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. I appreciate the invitation more than you know. All right. I will hope to talk to you again soon. Um, so what we want to do now is have just one more quick thing, and that is our sponsor, the Alliance for Shared Health. You are probably looking at, because we're in September, so open enrollment at your workplace, or maybe you're switching jobs, or maybe you're in the Affordable Health Care or the Affordable Care Act, and you're, you know, the ACA, you're looking at the options there, and you're thinking, these will not work for me. Well, I have an option for you that is fantastic. It is the Alliance for Shared Health. 
and it's affordable. It actually does not support abortion or other things that are unbiblical. And it's a sizable, growing health sharing ministry with over 40,000 households participating. And you will be sharing in the financial burden of healthcare expenses, including needs sharing for critical illness, accidents, dental, and vision. Now, this feels and acts a lot like insurance because you have a virtual care provider at zero cost. You have a prescription card, the share prescription card, which means you're going to the pharmacy. You're having your pharmacy benefits covered. You have discounts of up to 80% on lab and imaging tests. And open enrollment is now because it's all year long. <laughs> Anytime you find yourself in need of health insurance or access to health care, you can become a part of the health sharing ministry. So reach out to Ash today. Head over to StacyOnTheRight.com, click the banner ad, and sign up. That's StacyOnTheRight.com. Click the banner ad and start sharing and saving today. Alliance for Shared Health, changing healthcare, changing lives. So let me just tell you, (laughs) I loved Laura. (laughs) She was amazing. Um, Share this podcast. I always say that, but I think this one is especially needed right now. Relationship dynamics are in need of help. And Laura has the answer to fixing it up a little bit. Have a good day.